You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the star you are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, hello, Power Partners, and welcome to Radio's Finest Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am always thrilled to be your success coach here on the Airwaves, so you get ready to love, learn, laugh, listen. And most of all, we want you to live your dreams and to read some positive books. You can find out more about the charity Be the Star You Are that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy and positive media by visiting bethestarur.org. Well, we have another really amazing power hour today coming up shortly. We're going to have a story of survival and determination with authors Al Rivera and Susan Giffen as they join us with the memoir, The Barefoot Shoeshine Boy. That is a story about Al Rivera. Following that, we're going to have you live a very happy, fulfilled life forever when Mr. Energetic Man from Muscovie, Oklahoma, Jeremy Reisenhoover, has his book, I'm Happy, Are You? He wants you to rise to the top. And then we're going to visit the inside of prisons and what it's like with retired Captain Roger Ryan and his book, Whistleblower's Shield. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea, and turn up the volume because you are listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. And we hope that this is fabulous edutainment for you, education and entertainment. Well, publisher and author William Feather said, the prizes go to those who meet emergencies successfully And the way to meet emergencies is to do each daily task the best we can. Well, Al Rivera grew up hungry, cold, scared, and totally forgotten in a family of 12 siblings in Phoenix, Arizona, completely abandoned by his father, abused by his mother. He started working on the streets at age three as a shoeshine boy, and of course he was barefoot. On a really good day, he earned 90 cents. Eating food found in a dumpster or on the ground, Al nevertheless became successful, and he is a very positive person. His book, The Barefoot Shoeshine Boy, is co-written with Susan Giffen, and it offers a message of hope as he did the best he could. Both Al and Susan are with us today. Welcome, Al and Susan, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you, you. Susan. Well, the first thing that struck me, Al and Susan, when I read The Barefoot Shoeshine Boy is that although, Al, you were so terribly abused and almost invisible as a child, you know, no clothes, nothing, no love, you never heard the words, I love you, never a hug, it never once did you lose your kind heart or your spirit to survive. You just thought this was the way it was. What was it that kept you going through such dark days of childhood? 
I would have to answer that simply put that it was uh, a child because I was a child. And uh, as as children, we all we all have children, or if we have children, you know that your child is learning and doesn't know but what it sees. It, it doesn't really know that this is wrong or right. And as I look back, uh, it was the childlike that kept me going, and I thought it was fun. I thought that that's the way it was supposed to be. I had well, no you know, that's the, a wonderful thing about the book, that... What you brought out in all the pages, Susan, as you told, as Al told the story to uh, to you, is that what Al just said is he was playing all the time when he was going to work, quote unquote, at three and four years old, shining shoes on his corner. Mm-hmm. He looked at it as fun and as play. How did you feel, Susan, when you were listening to Al's story and then writing it? that, you know, a little child could have so much fun being hungry and not knowing that other people had a better life. Well, what was remarkable to me was that he made happiness in hard times. He did not wait for it. He did not daydream it. He did not wish it. He did not go to sleep thinking about maybe tomorrow somebody's going to, you know, come along and give me a better life. He just made his happiness. Every day he went to the street, and it, maybe today I'll find a piece of pie in the dumpster. That was, a look, that was just something he looked forward to. Yes, yeah, so it's amazing Peter, how he, he did that. That is such a, the message that I get from the barefoot shoeshine boy, is we don't wait for our happiness. We don't, you know, we don't wait for our ship to come in. We swim out to it. And, Al, yep. that's what you did. In fact, um, I want to congratulate you that the barefoot shoeshine boy is a finalist in the multicultural category for a 2008 literary award. I mean, congratulations on, you know, just getting in there into the finals. Well, that's a, th- that's a, a thank you for Susan and I. And uh, as you mentioned, Cynthia, in the start of your show here, that uh, about being a prize winner, um, we, we just placed first. We just got, we just got an email and said that, 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 that our book took first place in the multicultural um, um, category. Congratulations, because the last bit of information I had is that you were one of the finalists. So just found out, yeah. Now we can announce it here. First place, way to go. Well, you both did deserve a lot of credit for that. Well, Al, let's get back to this childhood. I, when I read about your mother, I can't even imagine any woman that would have so many children and not care for them, and not feed them, not clothe them. She made you give her every cent. And every time you would go to her with your cents, you never spent any of it. You could have bought yourself something to eat, but you never did. And yet she would feed you corn syrup and water. But what was remarkable to me is that you didn't hold anger to her. You were actually holding out hope that one day she would pat you on the head and say, good job, son. Yes, I was. You're right. It's that's that's exactly right. And when there was not uh, the corn syrup and water, it was a sugar. I remember her yeah. putting the sugar, a couple spoons of sugar in water, and stirring it in Spanish. And, and then she would say, uh, "Tomate esto," which means drink this. And I just grabbed it and, and I drank it. And then I, then I watched her um, walk away into the other room with a strange man. Right. So her whole life was all about bringing in men from bars and. You never really come out and say it, but it sounds like that's how she made her life as a prostitute in some way. I mean, she didn't really walk the streets. She just walked the bars, I guess. Correct. And had the men buy her food and 
you know, I don't know. I don't. Were they, were they buying her things, or did you even were you even aware of that? I was not aware of any of it. No. Of any of it. So you just thought that this is the way everybody um, lived. Now, uh, one of the things I found very sad is to grow up in a big family, and yet you're you were not close to anyone. All the kids suffered some kinds of major issues, and it was only your one brother that you were a bit close to, but several of your siblings have now died or they were addicted to drugs, et cetera. But what you did is you went on to be uh, win more awards, be the number one bricklayer. And as I know that's the topic of your next book where you're building your career one brick at a time. But you actually didn't hold any anger in your heart about this as you moved on. Uh, Susan, how did you, when you were interviewing Al for this book, how did you find that to be, that he could still have this sunshiny spirit and see the bright side of things despite the horrors? Well, that was, that was the remarkable part for me, it was to uncover all this in him. He was, a, he was very easy to interview because he's a very open, honest person. And so for him to tell these stories, and I never once found anything in his voice or in his words that, that said anything about bitterness. And this is truly remarkable. I'm, I'm dealing with a man here who is like, I've never seen anything like this. I've interviewed a lot of people. I've written a lot of books, a lot of stories. But I've never run into anybody who had this positive, positive inner strength. And, and Al, what do you think gave that to you? I know that you said you were just having fun as a kid, and you really didn't know that other kids didn't have this except for uh, perhaps a couple of the times when you were in foster homes, which we can talk about. But was that just something that you innately were born with, is this, you know, faith, hope, and charity, basically, and this very positive outlook? Um, I would have to say yes. As I look back now as a grown man, I actually noticed it when I was 38. I just turned 51. But at 38, I asked myself that question, and and that was it. I, I just... You made it through, Al, and I, I look back, but how and why? When I didn't have the coaching or the or the love or the understanding or the schooling or the or even the the help from a a, a friend or or brothers or sisters. And and, and this brings me to the next point because one of the reasons that I understand that you wrote the book is you really wanted to bring awareness to the plight of children who are living in extreme poverty or who are abused and how, what we can do about it. But what was it right at first that prompted you to, to write a book? Because you'd always been very intelligent, although nobody in your family encouraged you to go to school. Correct. You, you were really self-made when it came to that. But why, you know, here you have a successful uh, company doing all your bricklaying. What prompted you to write a book? It was my um, a lot of people that had met me, and also uh, uh, employees that used to walk up to me, and, and they would they would know my story because I would uh, I would just talk to them. They would ask, but they came up and said, you know, have, your story is just like this like this other guy. Have you ever read a book? And I go, no, I I never really uh, read this gentleman's book. And he goes, and then another person, and another, and another, and through the 15 years past, I kept saying, there's so many people asking saying that to me. So that's what prompted me to go ahead and write. So I decided to go and research this gentleman. I went to the uh, bookstore, and I pulled his book out. I read the first paragraph, and then I put it back in. I go, wow, I did live a life like him, or he lived one like me. Hmm. And then I said, you know what? I think I'm going to write a book. I can do this. 
Yes. So how did you find Susan then? That would be the next step, right? Yes. I, I did try myself to write, but I don't have the education or the schooling, <laughs> I, I will be honest with you. And, and um, I, meant, I wrote like maybe 13, 12 pages, and Susan has them. And I, I, then I called the, <laughs> my publisher and, and mentioned that to him. I said, I, I can't write. And I said, but I can sit here and talk to you if you want. Grab, grab yourself a chair and we'll go ahead and talk. And um, he goes, well, have you ever heard of Ghostwriter? And when he said that to me, I didn't know. It's the first time that I had ever heard it. And that's where Susan, he sent me some, um, uh, a couple of people to, to, you know, to interview, and I picked Susan. That's how I met Susan. And I'm very, very blessed and honored that, uh, that she helped me out with this. Well, and that I wanted to uh, say this so that listeners can understand that, too, is that the wonderful thing about writing a book, if you are not a writer but you've got a story, there are good writers out there who we call ghost writers who will listen to your story and they will write the book for you based on your story. And it all depends on how you want to, you know, how you want to do it. A lot of celebrities, uh, I'm sure, Susan, you know this, you might have even worked on it, but, you know, a lot of celebrities don't write their books at all. It's all written by ghost writers, although they often don't credit the ghost writer. But uh, so anyone can get their story out there if they are willing to work with somebody. You know, uh, Cynthia, if I may add, it's very, very important. I even though I couldn't write, what I, Susan suggested is, why don't you uh, buy some, uh, why don't you audio tape it? So I bought me a little, a little cassette player, and she emailed me the questions, and then I'd sit down with my cup of coffee in the morning, and I pretended Susan, Susan was there in front of me, and then I, I, I answered her questions. And 22 hours later, I mailed them to Michigan. That's where Susan's from, if you want me saying. And that's how that happened. So there, there is a way. There's always a way to, uh, to find this out. What's well, and one of the wonderful things about recording them, as you're saying, is then you absolutely have yes. the exact words down there so that right. Susan wasn't guessing. And, Susan, right. I, I really feel from hearing Al speak now that you captured his voice. Yes. I did. And I think, a, I think what a, what somebody once told me I'm a good reader of people. I've never met Al in person. And a lot of people don't know how I could write and, and ace that story, so as, as I did, I believe, uh, by not knowing him personally. But you can do that. You can you listen to a voice. You can talk to Al and I talked almost every day while I was working on the uh, collecting information. It was just a natural process. We had great chemistry, and that really came through. And that's so important if you are going to work with any writer is that you have to make sure that you do connect. And now, I want to just get back to the book because one thing that really came out to me is – why are we allowing people like your mother, Al, or like your father, or to have children? I mean, I, I, this is, it's just a, a horrible thing that they, you know, she was able to get food stamps, et cetera. The more children she had, the more money that she could get, but she never gave it to you. And I think it also brings into, into awareness that we really, as a society, need to start looking at our foster care system and finding out are they really caring for the children under their guardianship. You had mixed experiences there in, in uh, that environment. Correct. Yes, I, I am um, now looking into that and, and researching more. Of course, I lived it. Um, you lived it, and it was, it was a nightmare. It, it, it was, was a nightmare. nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that – I think in some areas it has gotten better, of course, because there's CPS now back in, in the 60s. There was not CPS, Child Child Protective Services. There is now. 
um, you know, which is hopefully hopefully a good thing. Well, I know here at Be the Star You Are, we donate a lot of books to foster care and to shelters. And you know, sometimes I wonder, are they really getting to the kids that need them? You know, and and because when I read a book like this, and the name of the book is The Barefoot Shoeshine Boy. The author is Al Rivera. It's his story as told to Susan Giffen. And it really is a remarkable story of hope, but at the same time he uses this story to expose this epidemic of children suffering under the care of, of abusive parents and guardians. I want to give out your website, and that is thebarefootshoeshineboy.com, thebarefootshoeshineboy.com. And there at the site you can get the book. You can also get it in all the online places. And you are now writing another book, right, yes. Al yes. And, and Susan? You're doing yes. this together? Yes, mm-hmm. we are. And so the next one is going to be about how you built your business and became a bricklayer. It's going to pick up uh, somewhere, I believe, Susan, uh, she mentioned she's going to back it up to about 16 years old and carry it up to about where I'm 40. Uh, so then now you're, now you're going to hear uh, some different stories, but you're also going to see how I made it as I became a young, young man and how I, I won many, many awards. And, uh, Cynthia, I, I must say, in, 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 in my life I was not trying to win these awards, but my biggest award that I won was our last president. President Bush invited me uh, for dinner uh, through my, uh, excuse me, my governor here, Governor Jane Hall, was, was, was Arizona governor then in 2003, and the, and the 39 current Republican Governors Committee, uh, Chairman Rowland, uh, I believe the governor of, of uh, excuse me, he was, he was the chairman, but the governor of Maine, I believe, or Maryland, and he said, your governor, Jane Hall, has invited you to have dinner to represent the, uh, your state with the one-night dinner with the, with the president. That was in 2000. That was the biggest. That has to be the most amazing thing, most amazing. Alan. I just applaud you. I mean, going from being barefoot and poverty-stricken and absolutely hungry your whole life with no food on the table to actually having a gourmet meal with the president. It doesn't get too much better than that. You're an inspiration, and I want to thank you both, Al and Susan, for joining me here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and I hope you'll come back when we find your next book is published where we learn how that you built your life, you know, one brick at a time by being diligent and loving and caring and professional. And I hope, Al, that you will do that research on this epidemic of children suffering because we are a very wonderful nation and we have to take care of our kids and no child should ever suffer the way you have suffered. And thank you so much for sharing it in the Barefoot Shoeshine Boy. We want everyone to go to the thebarefootshoeshineboy.com. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Susan, for joining me on Be Be the Star You Are. Thank you, Cynthia. And much success to you, Al. I know you have more awards to come, and congratulations on winning number one. You are number one. And thanks to your listeners, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alan, Susan. Well, when we come back, get ready to pump yourself up, because we are rising to the top with Jeremy Reisenhoover, and he is fun. He is wild and crazy. He loves to live my rules. Stay with us. I'm Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in just a sec.
Melissa. Listen, are you ready? The world is talking. Are you ready? World Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Crystal Goodfellow, and I am a volunteer with Be The Star You Are Charity. I'm here today to ask you to consider making a contribution to this worthwhile organization that encourages and empowers families and youth at risk by providing literacy and positive programming. Please visit the website at www.bethestarur.org or call the offices at 877-944-STAR. Since 1999, Be The Star You Are has served more than 20,000 individuals and families and donated more than $850,000 in resources to improve lives. Be The Star You Are needs your support. You can donate your vehicle, buy our signature books, or make a contribution online. Everything counts, especially you. www.bethestarur.org or 877-944-STAR. Thanks for helping the kids. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, I sure appreciate you listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where every week we bring you fabulous authors who inspire and motivate you. And now you are in for a real treat because we do have an Okie from Muskogee. Well, because all week long I have been listening to and laughing and learning to the books and the audio affirmations of our next guest, Jeremy Reisenhoover. He is always happy. He wants you to be happy. He is here to help you. And his book is I'm Happy Are You and also the 11 Fundamental Steps to Happy Living. Welcome, Jeremy, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you, Cynthia. How are you today? I am great. Are you ready to pump everybody up? Hey, I'm ready. You sure have fun doing these audio tapes. It is a lot of fun, and it just comes natural. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy it. And 
being able to share it with everybody is something that makes me even happier. Exactly. Well, it sounds like you have affirmations pasted on your mirrors, on your walls, in your car, and your your message to everyone is take me with you. If you could just inspire people and just get them going and, you know, get them going to the gym and getting, getting them uh, appreciating their family more and believing that they're healthy, wealthy, and wise, I mean, that seems to be your goal in life. Truly is. Truly so is. And you know, let's I, talk about your entrepreneurship journey because one thing that you make clear all the time in both your books as well as on your affirmation CDs that you have is that you are a regular guy. That you grew up, you just like everybody else, you started, you know, being kind of an entrepreneur as a kid, and yet you have risen to great heights. And the message is, if I can do it, you can do it. Let's start with you collecting bottles and stopping under the tree where the bird pooped in your eye and changed you forever. <laughs> right. Well, that's exactly where it all started. Um, I don't know what motivated me to do that or made me think that I could be a success, but at such a young age, what really happened was I wasn't aware of failure, so I didn't know any different. I didn't know that I could ever fail, and I've just tried to live by those rules my whole life, and that is that, you know, I, I really never do fail. I mess up and I do some wrong things, but I clean it up right away and get right back to happy zone, and that's where I like to stay, and, you know, it made me happy going around collecting those bottles. It made me happy helping people. It made me happy because I was going to, the, the whole reason for the bottle, the pot bottle thing was I wanted to buy something for my grandma who I loved and cherished and adored, and, and I just wanted to make her, her happy. I wanted to, I mean, at, at that young age, I just was already trying to make people happy, make people happy, and, you know, you, you can make yourself happy, and there are simple steps and simple rules, and that's why I, I actually wrote the book, because it's easy. It's really free. I mean, there's nothing on my list that will cost you money. So anybody can do it, but you have to want it. Being happy is something that is an action word. You can't just sit around and talk about being happy and then fill yourself with all kinds of negative scenarios and negative people and negative atmosphere and negative input because you're brainwashing yourself. So you have to brainwash yourself to be happy. And if you don't want to be happy, it's really easy. And if you do want to be happy, it's believe it or not, it's just as easy. Well, that's the great thing about it. Yes, and you're so clear. Happiness is a choice. As I like to say, happiness this is an inside job. Nobody else can make you happy. You have to make yourself happy. You find your own happiness. And you found it in the littlest things. And getting back to your grandmother, who you love and adore, and you, she worked in the factories, and, That's you know, right. she worked so hard. And when you wanted to buy her a hassock so she'd have something to put her feet on, and I finally know, you I saved enough her. money, and you did it, and you expected that one gift to make her so happy. But what you found is she didn't need the gift to be happy. No, but it sure did make her feet not swell up so much, so I was real happy about exactly, that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, but my point is is that happiness comes from within us. You're exactly and, right. And uh, you really believe in these affirmations and putting good things into your brain, because garbage in, garbage out. And so you have read so many books over the years, and you collect quotes, etc. But then you just write things down, like, I'm so healthy, I'm so smart, I'm strong, I look great in my jeans, I have a kind and giving heart, I'm liked by people, I'm vivacious, I respect myself. And what's so fascinating about when you write this down, as you say in your book, the subconscious mind doesn't know the truth from, from, uh, from a lie, so why not tell it all the things that you want to be positive and happen to you and then let the universe take care of the rest? 
Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. And in my office, I'm looking at these affirmations. I mean, I, every time I come in, I'm, I'm always, it's all around me. I mean, I, I make sure that it's what I should be doing. It's what's important in my life, and it's where my life ought to be geared. You know, like the people that are important to me, they're in front of me. I don't put people in front of me that aren't that aren't important, and and you know things that I need to see every day. Like I get up because one idea can change my life. I mean, I've been looking at that for 15 years because so many times there's days when you don't want to get up. I mean, you know, you're in one of those dark places, and you just want to you just want to stay there. And and I feel like you should you should experience misery just like you should experience happiness, but you don't have to stay miserable. Just because you experience, I think it's your duty to yourself to try to always find that happy place, and it's just so easy to do. That's why I have all these pictures of my family in front of me, because, you know, I, I need to be with my family. And I've got all these affirmations telling me what kind of person that I should be, because that's the kind of person I should be. I and you've myself. got a great family, a beautiful wife, Kathy, your kids are happy and healthy and good people. And, you know, one thing I really loved on one of your audio tapes is you said, everything around me is happy and, and good, and I was able to help them be that way. And so what I loved is that you did take some credit that you have brought into your life the happiness that you deserve. And just like you deserve it, every person deserves it. That's true. Every person deserves it, and every person can have it, and it's just that easy. Well, let's get to some of your 11 fundamental steps to happier living. And for all of you just joining us, we are talking to Jeremy Reisenhoover, and he wants you to rise to the top. That's right. And his books are I'm Happy, Are You?, and 11 Fundamental Steps to Happier Living. He is a speaker. He motivates people. He coaches people. And he can just coach you as well. Well, the first step, and this is so important because I think something magical happens when we write it down write your goals yeah exactly if you don't know where you're going i mean how do you know where to go exactly well you know you you quote donald trump and i loved that book that he wrote too and i love the quote if you've got to think anyway you might as well think big right big right it's a personal choice and that's what i'm talking about brainwashing yourself you know brainwash yourself the way you would anybody else that you loved. I mean, you wouldn't beat them down, so don't beat yourself down. Pump yourself up and look at yourself and like yourself and, and, you know, adore yourself. Spend time with yourself and feel good about yourself. And if you don't, then do something about it because nobody else can. You've got to be happy within. Well, Jeremy, you just said something that just really touched my button because when you said spend time with yourself, I find that so many people, they have to have, you know, the television, the radio, they've got to have a noise, 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 noise all the time. Not empowering things, not listening to good talk like we're doing now, or not listening to affirmations like you do on your CDs, but just junk. And what you're saying in your book is, hey, turn some of that crap off. You know, this is not good for you. This is not going to make you happy. So write down that you're going to spend some quiet time and meditate and get inside and love that person that's inside there. Right. And, you know, the best time to do that is when you're traveling. We've got to keep a journal or at least keep a running list of what we want in our life. Right. Yeah. And plus, that's a treasure that you leave your children, too. That, and that's how true is that. And, you know, again, uh, getting back to you know, on one of your tapes and also in your book, you said we, when you leave this, obviously when you're writing in a journal, as long as you're alive, you, unless you ask to share it or other people ask if they can read it, you don't need to share it. But once you have passed uh, uh, over, 
what a great gift that your kids and family can really know the inner you. So let's get to number three. It's a, it's a Richard Carlson. Don't sweat the small stuff. Hey, it, 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 most of it is small, so that's why I say don't sweat it. And you can't make a big deal out of everything. It's not that big of a deal. And, you know, it takes you out of that happy zone that I believe in being in for so many any yeah. minutes of the day. Yeah, in fact, I guess a, best, a good way to, to say is just to let it go. You know, I mean, if you, I love what my daughter has always done, and I guess it's because we did this as kids, is if you're having a bad day, we put on a timer. Hey, that's you a know, great we idea. Put on a timer and, and we'll say, okay, you can have 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, and you can laugh and scream and cry and moan and feel sorry for yourself, and then bingo, over, time to move on. And it's amazing when you put a timer on, you can really let that small stuff go. The fourth thing that you talk about in I'm Happy Are You in the 11 fundamental steps to happier living is to eliminate stress. And, you know, I, like you, feel that so much of the stress that we put on ourselves is self-induced. Yes, life can be tough, but we make ourselves miserable sometimes, don't we, Jeremy? Yes, we do. And the problem is once you've experienced that state of misery, it becomes a habit to stay there. And that's my mission is to get people away from that habit. Make it a habit to be happy. Make it a habit to love yourself. And you change the world by loving, by living in a state of love. You literally change the world when you smile at somebody. I mean, they, then they smile at somebody. Then they smile at somebody. And you have all that power to change the world just from that another free gift. Hey, smiling. I mean, it's important. When you're happy, people feel that from you. When you're bummed out and negative, people feel that from you. So you're, you're impacting the whole world. Yes, yes. And what you write on this one is you are a product of what you think about most. I like to say what you think about and talk about comes about. So spread the love. Spread the happy thoughts, which gets me to number five that you are so good at is positive affirmations. These are a must, right, Jeremy? We've got to fill our heads with positive, positive pictures. It is a true must. You've got to brainwash yourself into being positive and thinking positive, and you're not going to be interested in the negative anymore. When you're around everything that is good, you're going to create the biggest desire you've ever had for more good and more good and more good. And it's that desire to, to have good in your life that will make you want more affirmations and more pictures of your family and more, and, you know, more pictures of whatever it is in your life, where you want to go, who you want to be, with the kind of person you want to be. It, it's all about what you throw into your mind every day. And we're talking to Jeremy Reisenhoover. You can tell that he is helping you rise to the top. His books, I'm Happy Are You, 11 Fundamental Steps to Happier Living, is another book. And he truly believes in being happy and spreading the love and making you the best person you can be. Two other ones here on your list, uh, to the to-do list, which you advocate writing the night before, I totally believe in, and listening to the audio tapes or reading daily. It's like what we're talking about now. But I want to get to number eight is eliminating the self-doubt. That's very important because, again, if we think we're great, we'll be great. We'll live up to our greatness. That's exactly right, Cynthia. And let me tell you, there's enough people out there beating you up. Don't beat yourself up. That's where you need to show your, your most amount of love each day is loving yourself and checking yourself and surrounding yourself with good things, positive things, good people, positive people, not people that want what they want for you, but they want what you want. You know, they're really into what you want and what's going to make you happy. 
Well, you need a cheerleader, and you're happy to be everybody's cheerleader because you want to be their friend, and you can take Jeremy along with you. You can get his, his audio tapes, his CDs, his books, and he will pump you up, and he'll be your number one fan. And with that, we have to learn to be appreciative and to give back and to try to do a good deed every day. Boy, because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. Reading these books and following these steps will make you feel good, and that's why you're going to want to do it. You're going to get into a habit of making yourself feel good. Well, I love the quote that you like to use, is to the world you might be one person, but to one person you might just be the world. How true that is. It's so important that we always put our best foot forward, and we are role models, and we walk our talk, and we live what we say because we never know who we're going to impact. And if we can make one person's day a little bit better, a little bit happier, a little bit more successful, we have lived our destiny. And the last fundamental that you talk about is don't judge. Don't judge people. Be accepting. That's very critical, isn't it? It is so critical, and the hardest part of that is you want to judge people that are pretty. You want to think that just because this person looks good on the outside that they're good on the inside, and then you, in reverse you take somebody that maybe doesn't look that appealing to you and judge them for not being a great person when in reality they probably are because it's just about looks. If I look good on the outside but I feel bad on the inside, you're going to feel that from me. You're not going to think, oh, man, he looks good. You're going to think, boy, he is having a rotten day no matter what I'm wearing. Right. It's like, you you know, that's that old thing, don't judge the book by its cover. The bottom line is is be open, be inclusive, and give everybody a chance. And the people will mirror you. Well, let's give out your website, Jeremy. I want people to go there. You will get pumped up. You can have Jeremy as your cheerleader. You can take Jeremy home with you. You will be inspired by this regular guy who has risen to the top, and you can rise to the top, too. So if you need a lift, you go to www.iamhappyru.com. That's imhappyru.com. Sum it up for us, Jeremy. Well, the choice is yours. If you want to be happy, it's an action word. Make it happen. Here's the books. There's the website. Go to the website. Get the books. Read them. Follow the instructions. Everything on the list is free. And make it happen and change your life forever because you deserve it. And you can call 800-967-4279. That's H-A-P-Y. Thank you, Jeremy, for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you. I'm happy. Are you? Yes, you can be. I'm happy. Are you? Is Jeremy's book. When we come back from break, we're going to be going to prison. We're going to be looking at the whistleblower shield with retired Captain Roger Ryan. Stay with us. This is fascinating. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.
apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. BeTheStarYouAre.org Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Light up the flame. I am so glad that you are with us and listening. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and I am Cynthia Bryan. The news today is filled with debates about building new prisons, and if you want an eye-opening expose into the political corruption of the prison system, Roger Ryan's book, Whistleblower Shield, is the Serpico of the L.A. Department of Corrections. It is an eye-opener. Roger is with us. Welcome, Roger, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? Well, I am doing well. And, Roger, I have never read a book about being inside a prison system before. So your book, Whistleblower Shield, totally opened my eyes, and it was such a shocker. You are a retired captain in the correction department of the prison system in Los Angeles, correct? Well, actually, it's a uh, the locations and the characters uh, in the book had to be changed. Okay, so it's somewhere in the United States. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah, because and I, that was my big question is I'm sure it had to be changed because what you describe about the corruption inside the prison system is absolutely appalling. Now, one of the things you say at the very beginning of Whistleblower Shield is that when you are in training um, as a correctional officer, that the other law enforcement officials and the agencies in general look at these people that are going into the correctional division as being at the bottom of the barrel. Why is it? It's a very difficult, challenging job. Well, well, back then in 1975, the more prestigious jobs nationwide were police officer, fi- firefighter, court clerk, court officer, uh, you know, school teacher, 
and uh, corrections or sheriff, sheriff's deputies were really uh, not that high up on the food chain echelon of, of uh, job, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, security and job priority, shall we say. So what kind of people decide that they want to go into the correctional prison system? Or I know that you mentioned in your book that many people will start there and then they want to work their way out of it, but also many people stay there. So what did you find are the kind of people that want to actually be there and stay there? Well, the job does offer a security. You get a pension. You have medical and dental coverage. Uh, a life insurance policy, uh, eyeglasses, uh, all types of coverage for the, uh, you know, the, the, the wife and the family. And uh, a, a lot of people take the job just for benefits and not realizing uh, it's a very, very uh, serious uh, job that has to be done, whether on the federal, state, or city level. And uh, there's a lot of serious uh, consequences uh, uh, going to work every day with this job. I mean, every day I went to work, I could have been sued injured, brought up and shumped up charges, uh, uh, the well, liability is really uh, incredible. That's what I want to get to. Um, we're talking about the Whistleblower Shield. This is a, a novel that really reads like a true story, written by Roger Ryan. And I, what you were saying in there is that the correctional officers, you carry firearms off-duty, but... That's something that you have to earn. It's not a, it's not a given, correct? Uh, well, you, uh, most correctional officers have to pass a probationary period, and usually at the end of that period uh, you're uh, accepted as a tenured civil servant or you're let go, uh, and it's like that in most uh, law enforcement agencies, fire departments, uh, sheriff's departments, etc. But the reason you have to carry a firearm is it's very dangerous for your family is that there uh, obviously there is escaped inmates there's inmates that get paroled and or they get out and then they could come after you that's true Cynthia and, and the streets are, are you know especially after dark are very very dangerous places and people are very uh, cautious out there and there have been many plots over the years to harm the families uh, wives and children of the correction officers there are both female and male correctional officers in both male and female prisons. It, that, it wasn't always that way, though, was it? That, that, that's true. It was the judges that made that change. Uh, some of the old-time correction officers would blame certain mayors or governors or wardens, and I would tell them, look, that's not coming from the, that direction. It's, that's a result of what the judges decide in their courtrooms. Uh, the judges decided that, that male correctional officers could work in the, in the female correctional facilities and vice versa. But from, did you feel, I mean, I didn't get the sense that you feel that this w was a good thing, at least from, I don't feel that it is that good of a thing either. I mean, because it just seems to be a conflict of interest when you have dangerous people, people who are locked up, and then you have both genders in the facility because you're going to have issues that, that might make it dangerous for either, either sex. Did you find that to be the case as well? Yes, but what, what they, the powers that be try to do, they, they put cameras everywhere and they constantly mention there are, com there are cameras everywhere watching everything 24-7, to keep everybody on their best behavior, I guess, as well as the inmate population, for them to be on their best behavior. 
However, it wasn't like that when you were working in the system. There weren't cameras. They were installed later, and so there were weapons. You were confiscating weapons right and left. That's true. And how did these weapons, get, you know, obviously some of them are made in prison, but many of them were brought into the prison. Well, half and half. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, the search mechanisms for visitors uh, of the inmates in the jails, and quite often uh, uh, they try to uh, uh, sneak in weapons and drugs and uh, contraband of all sorts, shapes, and descriptions, you know, for the inmates. And it's up to the uh, an alert correction officer to, to detect that and uh, prevent the uh, introduction of all these uh, contraband weapons and drugs into the correctional facilities nationwide. And I want you to describe what exactly is a whistleblower because what I, when I was reading the book, it sounded to me that there are obviously very good officers who go by the book and they do things right, you know, they go according to the rules, they treat the prisoners right, they do what is right, and yet there were so so many people that are filled with corruption, they were brutal, they did not go by the book, and then they do, they would, I assume they're calling the person that is telling the authorities what's going down, they're calling them a whistleblower, is that, is that the correct definition? Well, you would be called a whistleblower or a rat, all I know is in my mind and heart and conscience, I obeyed my oath at all costs, and I actually, uh, had reported a fellow correction department captain who was, in, who, who was in charge of handing me overtime, which is money, which translates into money, and I had reported him because I had heard that he was tipping off the correction officers not to come into work on certain days because they would be urine tested for drugs, which was in our contracts. That, and that was something new, isn't it? Because the unions fought that. They didn't want to have the drug testing. But then the drug testing did come in, and many of the characters in your book, in fact, some of the, the commanders of the facilities were addicted to drugs or using cocaine or high. How could they do their jobs when they were like that? Or were they just trying to get away from, you know, from the horrors that they were experiencing? Well, we're talking about the mid to late 70s, and things were very, very different back then, especially in the correctional facilities I worked in in those years. Thank God that the, uh, the, the, uh, the random uh, drug urinalysis testing was introduced in the jails, uh, and uh, the unions uh, went along, went for it. It was in everybody's best interest. And uh, before that, it, to me, the workplace uh, was very chaotic. How was it for the family? Because in in the character of, of your character in the book, you know, you have triplets and a wife at home. And, I mean, you do have to go home after these long, long, long uh, days of working with with horrid people and under difficult rules. How was it to be, you know, to turn it on and off as a family person? Very, very hard. It, 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 you just can't turn it off like hot and cold water you turn on and off a TV set, it is really, it's a real hard adjustment, and really uh, not everybody's cut out to be a correction officer or a sheriff's deputy or a police officer for that matter. It's tough, and it, you do uh, take it home with you certain nights, and uh, you try to calm yourself down as best you can, but it's, it's almost impossible not to 
just turn it off like hot water, cold water. <laughs> it's really difficult, Cynthia. Well, you know, we're talking about the book, The Whistleblower Shield. The author is Roger Ryan. Uh, another thing was is that the uh, people working in the correctional services that are in charge, the the um, the captains or the you know the commanders that in charge people had a very low. Um, Age range. I mean, they they would they would live to only fifty or fifty four or something. Nationwide, the uh, the life expectancy is age fifty four. Fifty four. So that is just so yeah. so amazing. I mean, and that is because of the stress mostly. Uh, it could be a combination of factors. Maybe years back, years ago, uh, some of the, uh, the correctional officers smoked cigarettes. Maybe that's a factor. The stress, the aggravation, the harassment. The shifts, the, the the forced overtime, and there were months, Cynthia, where I, I worked 100 hours a month forced overtime as a captain. And you also said very often you'd be working in smoky conditions where there was one instance in your story where they were, you know, trying to sell as many cigarettes as they possibly could to the inmates. And so if you were assigned to a smoking area and you had asthma or or you even didn't have asthma, you certainly would be sick. Yeah, I, I do have mild asthma and bronchitis. I don't know if it was the result of the work environment for those 25 years or not, but uh, one could easily uh, uh, become uh, an asthmatic or have bronchial problems in, in that uh, work environment. Today, uh, they have rules and there's no smoking, obviously, in many uh, sections, so it's a better work environment today compared to years ago, thank God. Well, you thank goodness that there is a little bit more rules at the moment. I think that's, you know, that's definitely important. Tell us about the character that was from World War II that really wanted to run the prison like a concentration camp and even had a couple of his uh, captains under him mow into the lawns a Nazi swastika. That, to me, was appalling, where he collected all kinds of Nazi paraphernalia and kept it in his locker. That is uh, based on uh, true events and a true character. Uh, the, the individual is deceased now, and uh, this was way back in the uh, uh, mid to late 70s. And uh, uh, it's hard to believe that I, I worked in that environment. And he got caught and he got in trouble, and the correctional officer that uh, used the uh, lawn mowing equipment to you know, do that, uh, uh, vandalism, I, w- I would call it vandalism, uh, they were caught, detected, and the, the the supervisor, the captain, was forced to retire. But that is based on a true story, a true event. Now, are there, you know, so many of the events that you uh, explore in the book, Whistleblower Shield, are have, have things changed in prisons today? I mean, there's all this talk about we need to build more prisons, you know, we need to have prison reform. What's the bottom line from your opinion of having spent all these years in the prison environment? What, is there an answer? Is there something that we could be doing better? Well, from my perspective, things did change for the best, but like in every occupation, there are the bad apples, and just throw a, through a few in, and it's enough to create havoc, chaos, pandemonium, and that's all you need is a few bad apples, and maybe uh, I just happened to cross paths with these bad apples, and I did... I followed my oath, and I, I, I did what I had to do morally uh, with, you know, obeying my oath and, and following my conscience. And, so that's the key. The key is is we really have to screen the applicants, make sure that the, uh, the cadets, the people we get into are 
civil service really do care and are going to follow the oath and follow the rules. The name of the book is Whistleblower Shield. The author is Roger Ryan. How can people find the book, Roger? I know it's on Amazon.com. Is there another website you want to give out? Do you want to give out the Author House website? Or? Yes, yes, Cynthia. If they're interested in the book, they can go to www.authorhouse.com, click on uh, bookstore, then click on books or uh, Amazon.com. Uh, and you just look well. for Whistleblower Shield by Roger Ryan. Roger, thank you so much for being a guest. It's a really fascinating look into the prison system. Thanks for being here. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Until we celebrate next week, go out into the world and be the best that you can possibly be. Be the star you are. I am your cheerleader. I'm here for you every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me on Star Style. Be the star you are. I sure miss where you are. Let the music start. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are nonprofit corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on World Talk Radio Studio A. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker, a dreamer. 